everyone, and welcome to the Loose Threads podcast. I'm your host, Julie, at Altavant on Instagram, and I'm here with my co-host, Alfie. Hello, hello, everyone. I am az.alfie on Instagram. It's great to have you here today. Absolutely. He's the guy, the one and only, the guy with all the scuba stuff from Cray Green, Wild Post. You should check it out. I am indeed, folks. Check out my new post. We'll talk about it later. We'll get into it later, but my god. Great scuba stuff, best in the world. You gotta see it to believe it. You do. Best collection, honestly. Honestly, it's genuinely my favorite collection of all time. Like, no no joke. All the Winner 18, Craig. I think we should do an entire episode on our favorite collections, because I want to nerd out about this. Yeah, just, just breaking it down. Genuinely, it is. Like, that's literally, I think, what inspired me to get into fashion. Is seeing that collection, I was like, this is otherworldly. Like, it is. I cannot tell you. Like, I actually have, like, neurodivergent, like, hyperfixation with it, dude. It's, it's, it's crazy. I, I love think it so we much. all have one designer we do that with. Don't worry. <laughs> I think we do. Like, honestly, a big green flag for someone into fashion is when they're like, this collection. This collection is like my absolute love. Right. Like, when they have that, it's just you know their aesthetic is down to such a point where they can like pinpoint exactly what they love. For real. And then with birds, uh, like bird watching, um, I know it's a little weird topic, but Ooh, okay. when people see bird watching and they find a bird that makes them like really interested in bird watching, they call it their spark bird. <laughs> really? Uh, That's so cute. It's, it's really, yeah, I learned it from King of the Hill. No <laughs> but, but uh, it's, uh, yeah, it's it's really sweet. Um, so, so it's kind of like that with fashion. I think mine is a woodpecker. Yeah, yeah, woodpecker. God, Absolutely you know, lovely. funny story yeah. about that. I'll be quick. We had an old house with a metal chimney in Florida. I don't know why in Florida we had oh, a wow. chimney, but we did. And a woodpecker would <laughs> would get up there and start woodpecking away, and it sounded like gunshots because it was on metal. So oh my god! Like, wow. It would just get up there and start making AK forty seven sounds, and we're like, Dude, we're terrifying. trying to fucking sleep. Like why are so you so scared? Doing... What the fuck? Wow. <laughs> well, we found out what it was. Um, but like, yeah, you know, yeah. At first, I'm sure it wasn't easy for my parents to deal with something like that. Uh, yeah. Like, it's a suburb. It's their greatest fear. You know. <laughs> you know. Oh my god! I would as be an American. <laughs> yeah. Something you don't That's have to god. necessarily feel the the wrath of. Over no, there. I feel I feel I feel very lucky. You know what? We have the best designers. <laughs> yes, you do. The best the best the best lack of gun crime. <laughs> Yeah, those two things are are gotta be. A, anyway, that's that's the two things we've got going for us the in the UK, UK. Yeah, come to the UK. We don't have guns and we have clothing. Love that. We have we have Craig Green. We have Craig Green and no guns. That's what we have. Okay, don't folks. even though he's look at the food that we have. Don't look at it. Okay, it's not. This is it's not true. Real. This is very true. Look, I'll be honest. I think <laughs> London is producing the best designers right now. Oh in the world. yeah. I actually think we're beating every other every other country in terms of up and coming people. I mean, CSM big part in that, but still, like I will explain we've got a little bit about it. So, if you didn't know already, very important fact for all people in the industry to know: there are the fashion capitals. We have Milan, London, New York, um, and then we have a few others. But as far as what they're known for, Milan is known for being sporty, sexy, sleek, and then um, New York is known for being sartorial and very like wearable stuff that you can wear for the the winter, and it's very functional and like reasonable. Um, it's not about, it's about function over form. And then over in the UK, they have always been about the creativity, the wildness, the insanity. It's this little playground to let these ideas go free and people will actually, there's an audience for it and they'll support it with their money and attendance. But they, they've always been known for that kind of thing. So if you are into very avant-garde fashion, tech wear, whatever, you're going to find a more expressive version of it like in the UK. Yeah, absolutely. Any type. 
But yeah, that's what I love. Honestly, I think that's actually a really good way of putting it. Like each of the fashion capitals has its role. Like Milan is kind of, I would say it's more a manufacturing hub than like somewhere that people go for like street style and right. stuff. Um, but it's like, obviously it creates some of the nicest clothes in the whole world. New York, I think, yeah, you're right. It's quite sartorial. It's easily digestible right, streetwear right, right. as well. It's it's like where, like if, if you're into just like classic streetwear, New York is the best place in the world for that, no doubt. For real. Paris, you just have the most exciting interesting stuff because brands all over the world come there but london is where like the underground trends are being made it's where the cutting edge designers are emerging from csm and ual and like just creating the most crazy shit as he said milan was one of the first places to introduce ready to wear as far as history goes because they were the yeah. producers that's where all the um 1920s movie stars like marilyn monroe and all these other people would go and and um and get their their outfitting and they would go shopping there because it was where they could actually afford things in mass they can go on like shopping sprees um because the you know money money wow. back then kind of went farther when you had when you went to the source but yeah milan was basically the hub for all of those things and they were a big part of why fast fashion exploded across the rest of the world because of their manufacturing and it's a uh, the history of it is really interesting so even though milan might be manufacturing like you're saying it used to be a more affordable version with like less tailoring and stuff where you can just oh, ready to wear yeah where it's just like ready to go but yeah wow. that's why it kind of is what it is and why it's such a big part of the fashion industry and why they still have the shows there the biggest shows there is because that's just sort of like a historical place yeah I mean, you have Pity Womo there as well, which is really cool. Like a lot of really good menswear brands present there instead of Paris because it's cheaper and it's like a trade show with a, kind of a little bit less media. It's kind of more kind of the people in the know. It's like a men's, menswear only kind of fashion week, which is oh. really fantastic. Yeah, it's really cool. They do like like twice annual collections just for menswear. And a lot of cool people there. Like I know like Undercover presents there instead of at Paris Fashion Week sometimes. Um, so does Takahiro Miyashita Soloist and Ooh. some other just really cool cutting edge brands, especially Japanese ones. We love the Soloist. That's fantastic. But I think it's I think it's interesting what you said about ready to wear and when it emerged this like being a far more kind of affordable, like more mass consumable version of these like very cool sartorial, um, I guess haute couture looks that you would find like in Paris Fashion Week and then Milan kind of diffused it down for I don't want to say the everyday person because no, you know you still had as you said celebrities going there but yeah but the people who live there you know they they totally took advantage of that in a great way and it's definitely yeah, something sure. I would I want my hometown to be one of those so I could just get in there yeah. wait for the sales you know but yeah. um it's awesome I think the UK has always had a if I miss you know correct me if I'm wrong because you grew up there and stuff you live there but I think the UK has always had a fascination and an interest in like uh Japanese and, and Eastern cultures and the way that they incorporate it into their fashion um like for example Margiela is a perfect example he literally um I wouldn't say the UK but you know just in general he found the tabby brought it in made it made it massive yeah. and now it's a staple but I feel like the Eastern cultures have always been like a symbol of like mysticism in, in all of the Western world. But specifically, the UK has always had like a long history of sort of borrowing their techniques. To this day, we're still being very inspired. But they've always been their own thing. They've never looked to other countries to get some semblance of their identity. They've always had it, you know, deep down, which is why it kills me that I haven't, you know, that I'm growing up in like a place that's effectively just trying to figure it out still. 
and fashion's great, but it's always going to be many years behind because I feel like we're always playing catch up over here anyway. I mean, I think it's interesting because it, you'll write about a fair number of, I would say, East Asian countries, but actually I think Japan, especially post-war Japan, I mean, Americana, absolutely enormous. Like oh, Americana yeah. is, is, is pretty much inseparable from contemporary Japanese style now. Like they took a huge amount of influence again because right. America like invaded um, and occupied there and there became this massive fascination with American culture as a whole. I, I think it's interesting because Japan is one of those countries where you're right, I would say style seems to be incredibly individual. There seems to be a lot more emphasis on kind of pushing the boundaries of what is fashion. There's far more, at least in Tokyo, and kind of um, Shibuya and Harajuku style and Shinjuku style, like more acceptance of, say, like not conforming to gender roles, literally not conforming right, to kind of any, yeah. role, any rule in fashion. But what's interesting is at the same time, there's also very, very organized subcultural communities in Japan. So it's individual, but it's also individuals that find people just like them, if that makes sense. Like, they're not Ooh. afraid to push for their own aesthetic, but they're also not afraid to network with those people. And I think it's that's one of the, the real draws about the Japanese fashion scene is no matter what little sub-niche aesthetic you're into, whether you're into, like, a very specific era of, say... Kiko Kostadinov's aesthetic or a very specific era of Gucci or a very specific era of Vivian Westwood, there's going to be a sub-community with a name for you to join right. or, or like just network with and, and kind of buy and sell clothes with each other and chat about it and nerd out, which is really good fun. Aww. I think New York is a lot like that. I hear there's a lot of niches and subcultures that sort of group up. Like, for example, like Etro um, was a, they initially oh, yeah. were like a a textile manufacturing company for a long time and then they were like okay we're gonna make clothing now and they haven't stopped with the paisley but i think a lot of that is inspired by um india and their prints and patterns and their dyeing techniques and everything is 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 very inspired by that and in general like east eastern cultures just sort of have a different way of doing things that i think it's important to look at like just finally mm -hmm. recently in my store i have seen indigo dye do you know how long it's been i've been waiting on this to get in my store yeah, but dude, like, how how have you only just got this stuff now? That's insane. I'll be honest, this is why I kind of think, I'm not gonna lie, like, I think of American fashion as just being leagues behind, to be honest. Oh, like I said, it, it's it's playing catch-up. Always playing catch-up, man. The only thing I know American style for is essentially, like, I, I want to say that maybe this is just kind of me and, and, and my niche in fashion, but, like, New York is incredibly good for archive fashion. There's a lot of really yes. good collectors there collecting a lot of really good European brands. But again, that's the thing. They're collecting European brands. You're just not getting very many good oh, yeah. designers coming out of the US at the moment. And the East Coast is 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 probably where it's at. I mean, West Coast fashion, from what I can see, is... Christ. I want to say abysmal, to be honest. No, it doesn't like, count. It really doesn't it's count. It's tragic. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's fine. Like, and it's like... But I would say it's, it's like 70s boho skatewear hippie. Like, I think we've seen a million times. It's over. And I've always said this because I've seen it personally and I've talked to people who've been to other countries and who style over there. Mm. They say that the same stuff that's in the UK or wherever will come over to the US, like, in, from the same brand and everything. They'll, they won't release it in the US until six years later. They'll, like, they'll remake it just yeah, for the US honestly. because we're so freaking behind. Because the Americans... I, I've seen it in my own store. There's certain things that won't sell and they're not all that insane or not all that crazy or whatever, yeah. but people just can't justify buying it because they're like, well, it doesn't go with the other plain things I don't know how to wear, you know? I get, yeah. This doesn't just apply to fashion. This kind of applies to everything. But if you look at kind of brands that are doing regional releases, I guarantee you the coolest stuff is going to be in Japan and Korea. Oh, yeah. It, it'll never touch us. Like the coolest exclusive collabs from pretty much any brand inside or outside fashion is going to be in Japan. 
because they have that level of individuality and they have that level of kind of pushing the boundaries of pretty much any aesthetic endeavor. It's just part of their culture already. Yeah, exactly. But like going back to the East Coast aesthetic, I'd say the one, <laughs> this is not my style at all, but the one thing I don't mind from it is Golf Lafleur. I think Golf Lafleur is quite a cool example of like a good East Coast brand. Yeah. Um, and I especially think the Converse are a pretty nice addition to the mainstream. Like the fact that it's kind of a, an affordable way to buy into that aesthetic is 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 really quite nice. Yeah, Mihara Yashihiro, you know, that's was in, is, it makes those funny yeah, yeah. Converse, you know, and that that's yeah. Americana. I I actually like Japanese version of Americana than American Americana any day. Um, because I guess I've just seen it all day, every day, and and uh, the people in the U.S. I don't. I I think it's so weird that we're such a new country and we've taken all these liberties and all these different um, approaches to like just everything we do as far as governing yeah. or whatever. Like we we we're we're a we're a new country in every sense except for the fact that our fashion sense is like yeah. stuck. Like we just don't know what to do. I think it's probably because the American people like have always. I, I can't say for certain, but it might be part of the zeitgeist that we're like, like Hank Hill era, where we're kind of like, like thinking, oh, all that's like really crazy stuff. Like, yeah, yeah. You know, is, aren't they insane? We're Americans. We're sensible Americans. We, everything we do makes sense. So like, you know, they're really, the, the people are stuck in that practical mindset. That love of kind of pure utility. It's like, the, like, the, like the American look is a white t-shirt and jeans. Like literally. I have it's a Levi's. book. Um, it's 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 Levi's. It's just Levi's. It is only. though. It is. You know, it is. You're right. You're right. Even the vintage people look for Levi's, and those are always sold first. But yeah. I'll tell you what, it makes it really good for people like me who know what's going on and know what to look for. So in some ways, I wouldn't change it because I'm like looking for a needle in a haystack. But that needle is hella cool. I've I've like had that like slightly awkward moment where like people who aren't into fashion are like they're like nice and like asking like oh where do you get this X Y Z and I'm like. Like, I, I don't want to be, like, pretentious about it, but I'm like, yeah, it's um it's a Bulgarian designer called Kiko Kostadinov. Like, I really like his stuff. And I'm just, and I'm just like, what are they going to do with this yeah. information? Why am I, Literally. Why am I saying yeah, this? Yeah. But, like, I don't know. It's cool. It's cool. You just know after that, they're going to be like, they're going to be like, oh, nice. Yeah, and then yeah. just completely forget yeah. about everything that you just said. Yeah. <laughs> cool. <laughs> That's it. Wow, that's you know, yeah, you yeah, got yeah. Something like going the like, that's that's nice to hear. That's cool. Like, I'm like, it's like, archive Craig Green. Yeah, that's nice. It's archive Craig Green. They're like, is and they're like, like you is never it, kiddo? Understand how rare it is for you to know, be seeing this I right know. now in the middle of nowhere. Oh my god. Yes. You should be crying. You should be crying you on your knees and worship. No, oh my god. I mean, I was gonna go. I was gonna say like, I was just gonna say going back to like the Golf of Love stuff because I actually think that's quite interesting thing to think about is like the way in which you can get these. I don't want to say Golf of Love is kind of really pushing the boundary but i think tyler you know tyler definitely kind of revolutionized this aesthetic like it's interesting Enough. to make those affordable and maybe small ways of people to buy into an aesthetic um like the fact that you're able to buy like a little piece here yeah, and there absolutely. to kind of build towards an aesthetic and decide if you like say this sort of east coast americana look and also the fact that it's a collab with converse so you get like the high the relatively high fashion of golf flow with the kind of relatively low fashion of converse it just makes it accessible to like a lot of people yeah exactly yeah i remember that those those were everywhere in that same vein we have we have homer the jewelry brand yes yeah, yeah. and they're they have some really interesting like um early 2000s funny like shapes and stuff and they have a lot of like like it's very what do you say space age um like courages like that kind of vibe for some of the jewelry but i think the price tag is somewhat unreasonable and i always in my opinion have seen jewelry 
coupled with the with the material so for example like besides chanel or whatever they make stainless steel stuff for like two thousand dollars the screw cuff bracelets or whatever or more so i've always seen jewelry like kind of coupled with the material being used like i can understand paying more for something that's gold but i can't justify paying like seven grand for something that's made out of sterling silver because yeah. i've always kind of seen of it more of a stock and an asset and it's just hard for me to look at it any other way no, that's interesting, though. I, I think it really depends on what kind of style of jewellery you're going for, and certainly what kind of brands and designers you're choosing in your jewellery purchases. I think that there are some very stable kind of household names in jewellery, like, let's say, Cartier, where you're not guaranteed, but, like, you're probably going to get a good return on investment down the line with what you buy. Um, but I think it, it really depends, because right. when, when I, I suppose that when you and I are looking at jewellery, we're probably looking at, like, not so much the really, like, super big household names. And I'd say one of my yeah. absolute favorites in jewelry of all time, because I'm quite particular about my jewelry, is Parts of Four. And they're like a really cool, I want to say like relatively, I would I would describe them as sort of slightly industrial. And I think they call themselves kind of talismanic. Yeah, brutalist. Yeah, brutalist is a good way to describe it. And it's one of the few jewelry brands that does that. But what I love about them so much is that you can wear them and scuff them up and get them stained and bashed and, and crooked oh, yeah. and chipped and it looks amazing i'm literally wearing my parts of four ring right now which is like the only piece of high fashion jewelry i own because i'm so particular about jewelry but i love it i my whole life um if you ever go to my instagram and check on the custom tab a lot of that is jewelry because um i worked over the internet with designing it with people that i know and then i also have a jeweler in town and a lot of the things i had him make um were stuff i came up with like a 14 year old just like but like a little a little maniac coming in asking them to make something for me and i'm like can you do that and they're like yeah sure like he was really sweet and took on the challenge and he said he liked the challenge because all he does around the suburbs is change watch batteries and fix yeah wedding of course rings. so i was like you gotta we gotta get you get you something fun to work on and i've had a lot of things made by him and, and i tell people to this day you know i i if you want one i can make you one but it'll cost a little more because i don't i don't think I, i'm gonna ask the guy who did me a favor to yeah, do yeah. me a bunch more favors for some random person yeah. but you know it's okay jewelry jewelry has been uh, a massive part of of my upbringing and it's actually helped me determine um what i'm looking for in clothing as far as quality oh interesting. And it, again it's the reason why when i look at homer and maybe some other brands, um, I have a hard time justifying the price because I'm like, I know how they made that. Yeah. It didn't take that long. But anything with gems in it, I think you can argue that it does deserve the price tag because the gems will, depending on their source and everything, that can really complicate it. But just metalwork and silversmithing, there's so many methods that make it like easier um, as far as like lost wax casting mm. and things like that, um, that make it kind of unreasonable to charge more than a certain amount again though we're looking at brand value versus physical value oh, nothing nothing silver you have is going to be worth um like if you get it from a place that nobody knows it's only worth the silver value yeah sadly. exactly exactly and eventually if like homer goes down or whatever i mean i don't think it will because it's just got such a nice cultural background and it's going to be uh, one of those fond memories that people will be paying money for in the oh future. it's going to go archive um, for sure Yes, yes, it's going to go archive. Yeah, it's going to go pro. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it's definitely going to go archive. And in that case, yes, it'll be expensive. And the silver will continue to keep it at that level because of uh, anything with, like, precious metal. You know, you've noticed, like, chrome hearts and stuff. They can ask these prices because 
it has some intrinsic value, which is something I've always really held near and dear. Something I want to incorporate into any brands or clothing I make is that there's an intrinsic value and I want to add silver, sterling silver. I've done it already. I've made pants out of sterling silver studs because I oh, wow. didn't oh, want to use uh, stainless or whatever. Yeah, I, I, it was hard to source them. I'll tell you what, it took a long time, but I, I figured out a way around it. Um, only paying like 10% above. That's uh, some Chrome Hearts level of clothing accessorization. Yeah. Oh gosh, should we get into Chrome Hearts? <laughs> what about it? I. Um... What are your thoughts on it? Is it as it well as a jewelry connoisseur? What do you think of it? Oh, I love it. I love that it's okay. a combination of, of clothing and jewelry. Um, I think the price is definitely high, but of course they've earned it, and they are a cultural icon that we can see stemming back to Americana rock and roll, and they in Vivian Westwood era and that kind of thing. They have always been very potent as far as what they release and i i enjoy it i think their their marketing is genius i think the brand is a model brand as far as what you want to achieve with your brand and in the long lasting and the the staying power it has is is and it's always been um stuff that you can wear with other things because it's always black leather sterling Mm. silver you know Mm. we all have something that matches that in our closet i mean it is definitely overhyped like i see all these white boys coming in here with what could be fake i'm sure it's real but what could be fake chrome hearts and i wouldn't know um yeah i think that's the nature nature of any big brand you're gonna have copiers copycats whatever but overall uh brands are really good i i I look to it for inspiration and for uh sort of like what i want my brand to do as far as keeping it alive yeah i mean i would think that a lot of people who want to buy chrome hearts particularly the jewelry more so than the sort of logo t-shirt and stuff probably want that experience of going into a boutique and kind of seeing it in person because there seems to be a, a kind of a type of mystique surrounding a lot of these boutiques like i've heard that they're you know hard to get into oh, yeah, or quite secretive or you know you need the appointment yeah. to know someone who knows someone kind of thing so i think a lot of people if they want to buy the jewelry straight out probably aren't going to be going to the secondhand market they are probably going to to try and go into True. these because we have one in miami i try to get in they're like nah <laughs> you wow. can't get in the same wow. for you well yeah because i think it was during the COVID era i could I, i'm sure i could probably walk in now or make a little appointment and walk in I'm not going to buy nothing, but I'll be like, this is cool. That's cool. I'll take a few pictures and I'm leaving, which I can probably do for the pod. I mean, anything, any one of these brands that you guys are like, I want to know more about. I want to see what their stores actually look like. I'm nowhere near one. I've never been to one. I didn't have time to go, you know, let me know. And I'm like, I'm more than willing to go in there and do like a little deep dive on, on, I can break down like the atmosphere based on like the furniture and the flooring. And then I could go into the displays and that kind of like, we can always break it down. I'm always, that's always been something I, I like doing and it'll, it'll tell you a lot. And, and if you are starting a brand or something, it might give you some insight. So, mm. so yeah, speaking of parts of four, Rick Owens has a lot of inspiration. I think they, they feed a lot, uh, feed a lot off each other. Um, I think Rick Owens came first. So, but um, I'm sure he even has some things. I think I think he. I mean, I know certainly that his wife has quite a lot of jewelry from them. Like uh, Michelle Lamy, absolutely loves right. basketball. Like you can see her all of her bangles from them, absolutely amazing. And I also Is really he in like. Person? Yes, I saw them in person when I met her on Strand, oh, which was insane. So cool. um, really, really cool. Really and also that. the fact that, like she dips her fingers in ink every day as well, just exceptionally every cool. day. I know it's it's incredible. Yeah, that's insane. But I really like Rick's jewelry. I think it's interesting because it for me, what it does is it takes the kind of brutalist aesthetic of parts of four but it really takes it back to basics almost like it just uses this kind of beautiful i want i think it's um brushed stainless steel i think it is what almost all of the jewelry is made out of you don't really get gemstones and rocks in the right. same way you do with parts of four and i like some of that stuff but i think rick is just very stripped back very very particular minimalist brutalist almost i want to say almost 
like medical aesthetic in some cases almost it's it's really amazing um and i really like it unfortunately it's pretty expensive but like the big heavy multi-link choker necklaces are amazing yeah. like i really really like this stuff and I, I would love to own some of it someday for sure the pave the pave stuff yeah is always really cool exactly and speaking of which they did a doc martin's collab a little while ago and and we're the whole thing about today is we're doing all sorts of brand collaborations and what it means and if it was you know we're just examining them yeah. analyzing them so the doc martens one i think was amazing i see seen them in person both versions the old ones and the new ones and i think they're really nice and i love them and i i kind of wanted them for myself in that day because i'm like they look very comfortable and they got those big funny laces i mean you know what else can you ask for <laughs> i thought it was a really brilliant collab i think the first iteration of them i wasn't as big a fan i thought that some of the like that yes the fewer pentagram ones or like the gray suede not amazing the second mm -hmm. release with the quad sole and the incredible um furry gray ones i was absolutely blown away like genuinely love them like actually love them i still really quite desperately want those furry gray uh rick owens doc martens because they are just exceptional i've seen them in person mm -hmm. as well and they just look phenomenal i thought the only thing is and this is something that doc martens has a, an issue with with some of the high fashion collabs is the price point was a bit insane for doc martens quality it was about 650 pounds i think retail in the uk which is insane yeah you've never um that's definitely a lot to start off with especially if it's doc martens um i'm glad they're doing like smaller <laughs> yeah exactly i think yoji doc martens are like 700 or a grand gbp whoa retail like actually it like ridiculously insane highly priced but i could be wrong on that but i think yeah i'm looking now okay 650 they're not even that great no yeah, exactly they are. they're, they're just like regular docs but but rick's is a really good example and i think it's it's a nice example particularly this second collab where he translated something that really was quite sort of high fashion runway-esque which is this you know sort of fairy fairy gray material very high top sort of extended tongue um so many so many laces and eyelets very dunk very dunk esque yeah exactly but was able to translate that to a i don't want to say affordable but certainly more palatable price point a slightly bigger audience like i've seen i've seen i've seen people wear them who probably couldn't afford kind of mainline rick owens boots for about two or three times the price um so i um, oh, yeah they're like camper lab well yeah exactly it is really fantastic to see brands kind of diffuse down a little bit more like that and i think it's a good example like rick also did a collaboration with adidas oh, quite wow. a few years ago and i remember again retail was pretty high on those but they were popular and they were also one of the first sort of high fashion sneakers that I really liked. Like I still have Rico and uh, Adidas Spring Blades like in my mind as being really, really cool shoes. Absolutely. Yeah, you always got to have those um, mid-tier because we were talking about last time how fashion is just so darn expensive that it's almost like you have all this room for these mid-tier fashion brands that could pick up the slack. And, and I think this collaboration is really helping with that. And I think a lot of the collaborations we're going to be talking about today have a lot to do with, with that exact topic, which is that um, things are just so too much. They're just too much on retail and even resale can be, they don't really go down sometimes certain things. So you want to start off with a lower and then you can resell somewhere for like 300, 400. And it becomes a, uh, a phenomenon when the more people who try them, love them, trade them for other things with other people just gets the, the word out there and, and shows, you know, I, at least to me, I would be looking at the resale market. If I was a brand, I would be paying attention to what happens to it um, because it determines about how it really shows about how people feel about your product, like a lot. It, yeah. it shows so much. It's great to sort of draw people into the fold of that kind of aesthetic, which I think is is, is really, really nice. Absolutely. It's the same way in which kind of Rick Owens, Ramones have kind of gone completely viral, like on TikTok. 
where people are actually obsessed with them. They've just become kind of a staple of, of a lot of popular fashion. People wear them with pretty much every single style now. The, the classic Ramones, like the ha-ha funny Vans meme, like... People love them. Funny Vans. Yeah, exactly. People love them. <laughs> yeah. But they are great shoes. Absolutely. Yeah, TikTok is always going to be full of what I call, like, hype beasts and stuff like that. I, I I actually got out of, like, as soon as I was into menswear fashion for the first time, I didn't know about all these different types of folks. Um, you got your haters, you got your hype beasts, you got your normcore folks. Um, mm. But uh, but basically, the hype beasts are a, a breed that I was never really interested in and um, I'm kind of glad for it but I think it, it's definitely interesting seeing them co-opt Rick Owens um, because it's such a different and unique brand but I always have said that young men are the ambassadors of fashion and um, because whether we want to or not at least in America we culturally look up to young men and kind of what they're doing and, and they're always really big as far as like the pop stars we listen to we don't listen to older people we listen to younger young men and women of course but as far as menswear fashion you know they're the they're the ones we look to we see these brands getting into smaller markets into more approachable price points and getting people interested in things they wouldn't have otherwise we already went over that but it's a gateway drug it's a gateway drug a gateway drug to higher fashion <laughs> Literally. Well, what's crazy to me is that that Calvin Klein thing didn't work out, but maybe because people weren't ready for for that kind of thing. You mean with Raph? Raph, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that is a, such an interesting story. I don't know if we mentioned this on the pod, but the yeah, the Raph Calvin Klein one is crazy because, again, one of those ones where absolutely appreciated after his time. Raph was already popular, yeah. which this is what's strange to me. Raph was popular prior to, to joining Calvin Klein, obviously, as, as a creative director for, for that offshoot brand, like 205. Right, but it really it really took away the popularity afterwards. Well, yeah, but but what's what's strange is that so sad. when it was actually on sale, I think what it was is essentially is the people who could afford the price point wanted mainline RAF, and the people who were generally Calvin Klein's customer base did not have the money to buy it, and it was in that that sort of slightly rough middle area between the fans that can afford it don't like it enough, and the people that would like it can't really afford it, basically. Um. But if it happened now, it'd be great. Yeah, exactly. Because I think, that I think middle it, ground is so much bigger. And I think it just fits the zeitgeist of nowadays a little bit more in terms of its aesthetic. I think, like, for example, like the Roadrunner jump and stuff like that. I have one. I have one. No way. You have that. I, I love it. I love one. it so much. It's sick. I used it for a shoot recently. I've got to send you the pictures of it. I'd it was hilarious. It. I love it. Oh, it's good. It's great. At alt.avant on Instagram. I, I remember, again, when I was first getting into fashion, that is one of the pieces from Ralph that stuck out that made me like, fuck, that's so right. funny and cool and, and just silly. Oh, me too, me too. I love that. Um, but yeah, you're right. I, I, again, I think it's interesting when those... I, I don't want to call Calvin Klein sort of like a fast fashion brand, but definitely a sort of a cheaper, more affordable, definitely household name brand brings in these high fashion designers and sort of tries to translate their aesthetic through them. But I think what Calvin Klein kind of fucked up on doing is the price point for it. Like, I, I, I'm, I wasn't sort of into fashion enough when the collabs were coming out but from what i have been told the price point on them was really high for what you were getting like calvin klein quality wise um and it just it just oh yeah it just did not go well like i'm literally looking at a box article right now and it just says calvin klein's raf simmons gamble what went wrong like it, it did it did fuck up basically um but i think there are much better examples of, of brands sort of bringing in designers for either not to be creative director necessarily, but to sort of be kind of guest guest creatives or, or just collaborators as well. There are definitely... Oh, like Comme Delaine or, or, yeah, yeah. or Martine Rose with Dior. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I think the main problem with 
what Cal- Calvin Klein was trying to do with Raph is that it was bringing in this guest designer, and it was translating Raph's like very interesting but also quite expensive <laughs> design language, sort of oversized silhouettes and these very interesting knitwear and things like that, uh, and oversized jeans. But it was it wasn't bringing it to a price point that made it accessible and affordable for people that couldn't buy mainline Raph already. And I think that's the sign of a kind of a bad high fashion collab is when you're trying to diversify a designer's audience yet not making it more like economically successful let alone aesthetically um accessible either but i think i think there are definitely like with collabs there's definitely like the good the bad and the ugly side of things in terms of both in terms of like high fashion brands working with other high fashion brands but also certainly high fashion brands working with fast fashion brands and trying to really really make a particular aesthetic quite accessible and popular it goes to show you can't ignore your consumer base when you're designing these things. Yeah, exactly. I mean, literally just yesterday, we had a kind of sort of like internet breaking announcement of, of Mugler and H&M. Um, I think it came out a little bit earlier this right. week. And I think it's interesting because H&M historically sure. had done some fantastic collabs. I mean, if you look at H&M's collab with Margiela, I am amazed that half of the stuff in that got made. Like, the belt like the belt jacket with, with, with Margiela, the duvet coat, which I really, really want. Yes. Absolutely incredible. The glove purse. Exactly. The stuff, like, the fact that this got made by H&M is, is ridiculous to me. And they haven't been doing anything close to that for years and years. They also have some pretty no. good com collabs as well, but not quite on the level of Margiela. But... Right, right, right. So it's interesting that they're, they're sort of working with Mugler now. I guess it fits really nicely into sort of Y2K aesthetic, to use that term loosely and painfully. But yeah. I also saw a <laughs> lot of uproar about people because obviously H&M is one of the worst polluting high fashion brands on planet Earth. And Mugler is interesting. Like, it, you know, it's a relatively interesting design language, but it's going to be collaborating with this very, very ecologically damaging brand. Yeah, Mugler is kind of in there in the like range. I think of the Carages are very similar as far as like not not similar exactly because Mugler has those like piping details that's kind of yeah. makes them very you know you, you know what Mugler is when you see it. Um, and I, it definitely is interesting in doing H and M. I guess they could have picked a different brand to collab with, but I think regardless, H and M has some legs. It's going to keep going, and these brands, you know, they're going to eventually cave and do a collection because of the money and the value. Mm. Um, and I think it it is made for us and for the people in our range, but it may not be made for people who are as consumer conscious. For and sure. I think Mugler as a brand doesn't necessarily champion consumer consciousness or anything no, is, is, think about think about what they offer you know they offer a very you know sexy like this and that that kind of thing it's very not necessarily like self-centered but you are focused on on how it makes you feel and how and how that goes and i think a lot of folks um may not be as into like maybe you know because the internet we always go on there to to understand what's happening with fashion but i think a lot of it is done outside the world where no one mentions anything and they just post it on their instagram and they don't really think much of it um and i think that's that's what the majority of the market is for for h&m in general because if you if you know anything about it you wouldn't be shopping there in the first place yeah for sure. so i think to bring up that point might be kind of moot because well, Mugler is already, it, it's consumer base. It will will follow and they don't, hopefully won't too, think too much about it is what they're thinking. Well, actually, what I think might be interesting with this is, okay, working with a fast fashion company like H&M, kind of championing them, being the more profits, etc. is a bad thing. But think about it this way. People who are likely to be buying the H&M Mugler collab are, generally speaking, probably more likely to be buying mainline H&M than they are to be buying mainline Mugler. 
like they're probably more likely to be able to afford the more affordable side of things. Right, the fact right, 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 right. Mugler name and design language is attached to that piece. I think would probably dissuade them from, you know, throwing it out next season. Right. I actually think it will probably make it a more of a cyclical garment where they can actually either resell it or upcycle it or trade it with a friend or whatever. They're less likely to just put it in the bin because that's the real issue with fast fashion. Obviously, that, working yeah. conditions aside, like that is that is very bad. But one of the biggest big problems with fast fashion and trend cycles with, you know, sheen and stuff is that half of this stuff goes in a landfill the next week when you realize you don't actually like it now that Mugler's name is attached, there's going to be a certain resale value with it. And actually, we could see this being an increasing strategy of high fashion brands if they find willing designers to work with is to actually increase their value. Yes, yes. It's cheap. They can get their name in there. Yeah, exactly. Both in the, both in the first-hand and second-hand market, they will become more desirable and more sort of more able to justify certain like price points if they work with these designers and actually get interesting and they'll from it. Exactly. And if you pay more for something and you're like, oh, there's another designer, you're going to you might look into it. I mean, it definitely is going to bring more people into that thing. And in some ways, it might even bring them into the conversation of, of uh, you know, ethical consumerism and that kind of thing. Definitely. So in, in, in some way, you know, it's it's not it's, it's inevitable. You're right. So we might as well make the best of it and kind of see, you know, what it means for for the fashion zeitgeist in general. Um, and yeah, it, it's going to keep happening. You know, they just need to find willing brands to, to put their name. And it's, it's like a cheap way to manufacture something um, on the side. And, yeah, exactly. and hopefully, you know, you're hedging your bets on something that's not expensive. So they can, you know, if it doesn't work, then whatever. It's H&M collab. Who cares? Yeah, yeah. But if it does work, then it works out pretty well. I think one of the absolute best examples of this is Uniqlo Jill Sander. I think it was really, really cool to yeah. see Jill Sander's aesthetic translated through to relatively affordable and accessible high fashion i own a few pieces from the collab and i still to be honest i still waited until the sale for most of it because it was still kind of expensive for what it was quality wise right. like I, I have a blazer from them um retail on it was 120 120 pounds and i bought it for 29 pounds new from wow. from uniqlo on sale now I, I wouldn't pay much more than that for it because it's not you know it's a full poly blazer it's not amazing but it's a nice cut it's a nice silhouette and i think right. it's cool to see that level of affordability for these really quite interesting design details that where and a lot of it in, in case of sort of especially Uniqlo's high fashion collabs they're not really pushing the boundary but they are elevating basics they're making it accessible not just right. from a price point but also from people who are like i just want a bomber jacket and i don't want anything crazy but i want it to be a little bit more interesting or i want a nice puffer coat but i want a little bit of asymmetry in it just to sort of set me apart from the crowd and that, again, as you say... You know, they can. That, that's why they, they go there. Yeah, exactly. Is to have all those options to pick from. Yeah, but it's a great it's a great entry point for their entry into this sort of, like, alternative world of fashion beyond just what you see in, you know, Uniqlo and Weekday and H&M. Absolutely. I see their um, Birkenstocks collab. I, I'm a big fan of those ones that they did with Jill Sander. And, oh, and yes. they, I think Rick also did one, too, a while yes, ago. Yes, he did, but, yeah, yeah. yeah. Burks are Burks are a great. I think if if you collaborate with Birkenstocks, you're always going to succeed because they're just that's just the the nature of of them. Um, I mean, as long as the price isn't too high. That's the thing. Birkenstocks Birkenstock collabs are good, but they're generally kind of expensive. I think the Rick Owens ones were. Yes. I could be wrong. Maybe they were more affordable than I remember them being. But I think they were no. a little bit much. <laughs> I could be wrong. No, you're right. And uh, in the long lines of uh, Jill Sander and Uniqlo, I think La Mer is a really good yes. one. Because La Mer has a very similar elevated basic style. For example, I just looked up La Mer Uniqlo on Google. And just kind of going through, I see this really cool blazer with this interesting, like, rouging that you don't typically see. And it's like 100 bucks. Exactly. And, like, things that, like, like 
I'm looking at, and I'm like, these look like really high end. What's like, you wouldn't just find unique about Uniqlo Le Maire, which I really like, is the fact that it wasn't just a one-time collab. Like they've brought Le Maire on as the creative director oh. for Uniqlo U, which Good. is their sort of elevated basics. Um, like again, like twice twice annually release collection. Um, and it's fantastic. Again, I own quite a lot from it, and I I also don't wait till sale because wow. it's pretty affordable. Yeah. But it's good construction, interesting silhouettes, nice details. It's comfy. It's Uniqlo as a fast fashion brand is amazing, but Uniqlo U is just a, a cut above that in terms of silhouette and and material. And I think that's quite cool when you see these brands kind of draw designers into the fold at the midpoint between collab and actually bringing on as creative director i think a really good example of this is like kiko with asics whereby originally they just did a couple collabs right. after his ma collection but now you've got it's not kiko it's they call it the kiko kostadinov design team i think he's too busy to actually design them now but they seasonally release a handful of asics i think every year now as like a permanent mainstay of the brand and that's so sick yeah, that's I love when they continue to keep people on, especially even if they don't do well, they 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 put faith in you yeah. to give you like that option. Um, Martin Rose did something a while ago with with that with like a I think it was Asics or it was no it was Reebok it was something. I wasn't necessarily a massive fan, but um, it's still cool to see those big designers getting in there, poking their head in, doing a little something. But Kiko, the fact that he has a a couple of different outlets for his creativity, um, make it really interesting and and. I, I'm just looking at them and they are very unique and they have a lot going on and, and uh, the price point's very reasonable, uh, for sure. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the OG Kiko Asics go for like over a grand right now. Oh, wow. Um, which is insane. But obviously the fact that they get season released, then, you know, they're not quite as good. They're not quite as quite as cult classic, but they're still really fun. And they're definitely the best, definitely the best Asics in, in, in Asics catalog. They're fantastic. Right. Yeah, they probably are like the the main line, um, like the the um J W Anderson Converse, and then the Converse kind of co opted that style into their main line oh, stuff, and they they the, the kind of like G Star Raw aesthetic. Yeah, yeah. Um, is is very very in there, and you can see it. But I I like it a lot. I I think it's um it's nice when these designers come in here and change one thing, and because the thing they're changing is so widespread and well known among everybody. It, it gives a lot of opportunity for people to kind of turn their head and think more about what they're wearing um, because they're looking at something that they have to kind of, it's a little different and they have to think about how it's going to fit into their wardrobe. But I, I really, I love that about about these big people getting into, the big people that are known by a small amount of people working with a big brand known by yeah, a Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, just, it's, it's nice. really nice to see kind of these designers that we think of as like close to our heart, you know, part of our like, a relatively niche fashion community if they can even influence the zeitgeist of kind of general day-to-day -day fashion it's really sick to see like i actually really enjoy i know it got kind of like slightly shit on but i really enjoyed seeing so many people wearing the marnie uniqlo collab in summer oh i have year. some from uniqlo from marnie i have a pair of yeah pants. so do i i i have a i have a, a shirt from them and it was really nice because i was like hang on these people like just day-to-day -day probably don't think about fashion too much but they're wearing these really beautifully patterned dresses and skirts and shirts and trousers and it's just cool to see it on the street it beats seeing just h&m jeans and and, and a white t-shirt so i think when they look at the other stuff they currently have in their closet they they might be wondering why it doesn't fit the same and it yes. really makes them like sit down and look about like like what makes this piece different and then and they can say well maybe if this worked i can go find things from the the co-designer that probably influenced this if they this has to be someone who actually has introspection yes yes 
what you kind of need with some of these high fashion collabs if you want to get people into the aesthetic is you need a bit of a shock to the system right i think right. high fashion collabs are bad if what you get is essentially an hdm t-shirt with a logo slapped on it i think you need a different color pair of pants exactly i think yeah. what you actually need is a change in the i keep coming back to this term but the design language itself you need to change the silhouette you need to change the details themselves and get people into it and again coming back to this like you know the good the bad the ugly like this is what differentiates good collabs from bad collabs shit collabs are when you just right. slap a logo on something that another brand has produced to be like yeah this is our collab great collabs yeah no one likes but when you intermesh two things together and i think that's what makes like the recently announced ed mayner and reebok collab really exciting like i've actually never been i think so excited for a fashion collab in my life oh wow yeah reebok in general i looked into their business practices and they don't do forced labor, mm. anything like that. And Head Maintenance has always been a, a very interesting visionary. Um, so to see it in ASICs, let me let me take a look at, at do they have any of it released? They have a little lookbook release. They don't have price points or release dates or anything yet, but they they have a, a handful of images okay. and it just looks fantastic because I love Head Maintenance aesthetic, but it's very, very expensive and I couldn't really justify spending that much on an oversized jacket that will make me look like David Byrne. Oh, wow. Yeah, they're very tech wear. Yeah, it, it, it's sort of oversized, slightly techy stuff, and I really, really like the look of it. But that is a fantastic... I mean, we'll have to wait and see the price point, but I think it's a fantastic collab because you get the affordability and the technical details of Reebok oh. clothing with the silhouettes of Ed Maynard. Amazing. So there's a pair of... Um, but there's these... I have these really big, and you might see them on Instagram sometimes, um, these really big white cargo pants that have, like, a liner in there. And they're so massive. These like they're so big on me. They look just like these pants, and except oh, wow. these don't have the cin the cinching at the bottom. But yeah. other than that, oh no, they do. Some of them do. Oh my god! Wow, you guys gotta check this out. Head Maynard, um, Reebok it's clothing so on High Snob Society. Yeah, yeah you've gotta check that out. Amazing. I think what's interesting is that this reminds me in a kind of inverse way of Balenciaga and Adidas, where you got a brand that's known for its yeah. oversized silhouettes. Um, and and that and that sort of like really interesting construction, collaborating with a brand that's obviously generally very affordable, known for its more techy aesthetic. But Balenciaga did it in the complete wrong and stupid and very very annoying way, because <laughs> because Ed Mayner's yeah. I don't know the price points yet, but I'm almost certain that Ed Mayner's approach is going to be we make these expensive, interestingly constructed clothing. We want to make them at least a little bit more affordable for people. Right. What was so terrible about Balenciaga and Adidas is that. They took those two brands, meshed them together, and put the uh, astronomically high Balenciaga price points. Oh, same with Gucci and Adidas. Same way, same exact exactly. thing. Same. I mean, although their suiting was pretty nice and the double double cap was nice, is just far not even the price point because that that was uh, very you know out there. But to be fair, you know, Adidas just seems to be putting its logo on not not them, but they seem to be incorporating it in in very. Like, it's still Balenciaga, it's still Gucci, it's very clearly both of yeah. those things. Um, and I think maybe what they're trying to achieve is something different for the collaborations. I think um, I think that a lot of rich folks want to come off as sporty, maybe, especially in Miami, they got all these, these cars and stuff. So I think it was the right direction as far as maybe what their audience is ready for, but in overall it wasn't very impactful. Um, I, I liked a couple of things, but I, I can't say they were like, they could have done it without Adidas, I mean, and um, I don't see a point in including Adidas. Exactly, exactly. I, I don't see what Adidas gained from this yeah. because Adidas did not did, did not release its yeah. own sort of affordable side of things. They, I, as far as I know, they haven't even sort of like stolen the design language down their own oversized tracksuit or anything. Um, 
I just don't see what they're gaining from this whatsoever. And I think for me, actually, it's right. really interesting what you just said there is like, what, uh, like, actually, what might Balenciaga's audience gain from this? And to be honest, I think with Gucci and Adidas and Balenciaga and Adidas, owned by both owned by Caring, by the way, um, which is why that collaboration right. came oh, about. Okay, I think, to be honest, it's that they want to at least take this veneer or this aesthetic of being working class and 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 translate that into high fashion like they want to be like oh yeah you know we're just like the 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 people on you know people on these estates who wear you know adidas tracksuits all day but we're yeah. gonna pay two thousand pounds for them and have them be a bit oversized yeah you yeah know, it's just a bit it, it, it's a bit depressing to be honest the fact that you like are making something look untailored but you're paying tailored prices is really silly yeah i don't, yeah. I don't really like that like like and then get it custom done I do think a slight tangent, but I want to think it is really funny about folks who have definitely a lot of money and uh, much more money than sense is uh, they'll they'll get all these like weird animals and stuff. And one of the famous stories in Florida, this is definitely a tangent, but it's a fun one, kind of. I mean, it depends on how you feel about the, but oh God, okay. uh, this guy got this, this, this big Australian cassowary bird, like massive, he got a bunch of them. And if you've seen them, they're like emus, except they're prehistoric. They have that massive, like weird dinosaur thing on the top of their head. They're bright oh, wow, blue. Okay. Their feathers the are, they're, the feathers are not like regular feathers. They're like, they're like the stringy feathers you see on dinosaur pictures because they're so prehistoric. They haven't had to change anything because they're just killing machines. So this guy gets a bunch of them over in florida and he's like haha i got a big stupid bird in my yard isn't that cool i'm rich you know and then he like went out there one day and i just don't think the people were like didn't they weren't with him like his his staff or whatever and uh yeah he that thing uh that thing killed him oh my god <laughs> that, that thing that thing ruined that man so i mean it's not the same topic or anything but i think it is interesting how um even even like rich folks aren't really sure i mean they aren't really quite sure about what they want. And um, I don't know if if uh, Balenciaga knows what they want either, honestly, but uh, don't get a cassowary yeah, with oh that money. God. You know, that's 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 one collab you don't want. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing, like, like more, oh my gosh. I think the that kind of like Florida man, you know what, Balenciaga is, is actually no, that's so rude to say. Go I ahead. Say I, I was about to say like, Balenciaga is the high fashion equivalent of like the Florida man in terms of just being nonsensical and stupid but i kind of love demner's work so i don't want to say that but some of it is, is that level of stupid like they just released a a big feather boa for two thousand dollars which just looked like a sort of stuffed snake and i just i can't be i can't be bothered with it anymore and again like it, these oh my gosh have you seen speaking of collabs the balenciaga and gucci collab the hacker collaboration it's one of the most gaudy things i've seen in my life it's just balenciaga oversized silhouettes with gucci monogram it's horrific it's just terrible you see someone wearing those and it just tells you everything you need to know like oh my god they did triple s this, I, I swear it came out in like 2021 and they were doing it felt like s. it came out in 2015 dude like, literally it's it's it's, it's, it's just horrible it's just horrible and people bought it up it's sold out yeah, everywhere yeah yeah why um why? i think the people buying those were mostly like the crypto people because i'm not gonna lie yeah. everyone i've seen them on is like a dj khaled copy and they're really into crypto like miami is just yeah. full of dj khaled's dude i'm not, I'm not trying to be a jerk yeah. but every time i see someone come in i'm like yo that's dj khaled right there <laughs> like and that's if you showed me dj khaled i think i would i would just say he's a, like a random miami guy like if you take all the clothes off and put yeah, like something yeah, normal yeah. on i'd be like yo that's just some guy in south beach like <laughs> that's not even yeah it's not even like and <laughs> it's just funny he's a funny dude he's just, um he's just a guy 
Yeah, he's a funny little guy. Don't forget about his Overwatch debut. That was good. Oh boy, he got some moves. <laughs> Overwatch debut. There's a viral video of him doing like a pitiful little dance um, in Overwatch, and he didn't even know like why he was. He didn't know what event he was at. He didn't know why he was there. He was just like, nice. "Hey guys, uh, video games, right?" And then did like a little dance to one of his songs oh, and he's like and he kept trying to get the audience to to say some of the lyrics to his songs and they wouldn't because <laughs> no, no one in, no one in gaming likes him that have much you, have you seen have you seen his bloody hugo boss runway moment no oh my gosh this came out a couple of days ago i saw this go viral on twitter he just does the funniest model walk for hugo bosses yeah i saw a picture of 23 it. in miami in miami two days miami, ago Miami. this is it, it yes. looks like Miami spawned this, this guy. Like there was too much Miami concentrated in one area, and this guy just popped out of nowhere. <laughs> Literally. Literally. Let me see his runway. I saw a really mean tweet about DJ Carlos here boss runway. Oh, they were saying, oh yeah, yeah, it was about the button, right? If you... Yeah, it was it was it was something that was like it was like it's the one button on, on the jacket is doing more life. work than DJ Khaled has done his entire oh, life. Poor guy. He's just he's just some guy that got know. famous against his will and he goes on jet skis and talks about life i don't think anyone you know he's doing the best he's doing the best he can i think he's, he's definitely he doesn't seem like okay. he's toxic hopefully i don't know maybe maybe he's i mean he is the celebrity version of florida oh Man. yeah maybe maybe he doesn't do anything you know to just that i think like someone like chet hank or whatever mm -hmm. would be closer to that but as far as fashion mm. goes yeah probably yeah <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. Um, they wear the same same kind of things around here too. Like as far as his regular wear, like the colorful print. Oh God, Miami people have a garish taste in in Hawaiian shirts. They'll be yeah. coming in from other states. They're like, ah, I'm gonna get me a shirt, okay. and this thing's like just horrendously colorful, like something I'd see in Vans in uh, when I used to work at the mall in like 2014, 2015 era. I'm like, what is? What are we doing oh, again? We're coming back. Like we're going backwards. Like I haven't seen. I, I just don't think we're gonna America's gonna move past um where we're at as far as menswear. I we just got mm. linen, dude. We've had linen for a while, but finally people from Florida are wearing it. Like the the way I could tell if someone's from Europe is if they come in wearing linen. I'm like, oh, where are you guys from? Like Europe, Spain. And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, how'd you yeah. know? And I'm like, because Americans don't understand linen is amazing for Florida, but they don't wear it because they haven't been introduced to it. It's just like little things like that that you're like, how do we get this far? without using just anything from any other warm country for fat. Like, why are we just, mm. why? I mean, that's okay. We are, I like to say my store is forcing menswear forward in Miami by force. <laughs> I mean, it rises up like a citadel of good taste. Totally, yeah. Uh, we only have one store, but it's definitely one that everyone knows. So when I go to apply for the design district yeah. uh, after I cut my chops over here, um, I'll have like this little background with, with a, a well-loved small store on that note i think i oh. hope i hope you all find your way you know i hope you all live every day like like it's your last but um wow. you know wear that weird sweater wow. you know exist make yeah. the people in your hometown gasp and shriek with fear make the people confused confuse them all that's all that yes. matters in fact i i confused yes i confused dude. people today i took my photos in my scuba outfit Oh, like people I love were that. fucking staring at no me. Clue. And you know what? Be weird. Wear the you know what folks? Wear the archive Craig Green Scuba gear. Do it. Yes. Yes. Don't let anyone stop you, not even yourself. Enjoy life. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Enjoy life. Eat lunch. 
right now, eat some lunch. You need to eat something. It's been a while. Drink some water, you know? Um, but I, I hope you've had an excellent time with us. We've talked about the good, the bad, the ugly, and then some. Um, and if you have anything you want to tell us about, comment. Uh, please please comment on the podcast or, or anywhere else this is posted, and I will read it. I read everything. I'm omnipotent. So is, Al- so is Alfie. I, 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 I try my best, but I'm not on Julie's level of being just the all-seeing, all-watching eye of the podcast. The all-seeing Alfie. <laughs> oh my god. Absolutely. Yes, thank you so much for tuning in, folks. It was a really good episode. I love talking about this collaborative side of fashion because it's so cool when you can see the absolute best of the best and the absolute worst of the worst in the same category. Right? Oh my gosh, yeah, and it's all it's all under the, the umbrella of collabs. But um, yeah, I exactly. hope, hope exactly. you have a great collab with your day today. So, oh my um, god. Yeah, have a, have a... You know what? <laughs> Fuck fashion collabs. How about you collab with your friends with and go have a, have lunch together or collab with your mom and give her a call. Okay, yes, folks. dude. That's what, that's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. The most fashionable collab in the world is family and friends. It's love. Oh my god, it's okay. Love. It's love. It's love. <laughs> yes, thank you so much, guys. We will catch you in the next one. This has been the Loose Threads podcast with me, Alfie. Yes, and Julie. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Bye, guys.